The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. And let me ask you a question. How would you describe your relationship with God? When I was younger, I wanted to know God. I wanted to know about God. But the God that I grew up with was distant, demanding, judgmental, and let's be honest, had some issues with anger management. (laughs) I'm not sure I wanted to know that God. I wanted, I needed a bigger, better God. Fast forward, a lot of seeking, a lot of looking, I found this place. I washed up on the shore of this place and dived into the teachings of science of mind and spirit. And yet, there was something I was missing. I felt like I was trying to know God through my head, through my intellect, through principle and law. And then I found or came across the book uh, written by Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, Can We Talk to God? And he summed up perfectly what I was experiencing. He says, in the new idea of life, We are thinking of God as a universal principle, intelligence and power. As the essence and energy of all things, the immutable law and cause cause and effect. And in doing this, in discarding the idea of a huge person in the nature of deity, we are undoubtedly losing the sense of a personal contact with this invisible power. And we are liable to think of God only as law or as an infinite it. Now, an infinite it is very adequate in some ways, but in some ways it is very inadequate. I realized I didn't want to just know God or know about God. I wanted to experience God. I wanted a relationship with God. But it won't happen through the intellect. What I realized is it would happen through that inner sense. So I want to share with you a story. A story, it's it's probably my favorite story. Uh, It's an abbreviated version. It comes from the 1930 book called The Cat Who Went to Heaven by Elizabeth Cotsworth. Once upon a time, long ago and far away in Japan, a poor young artist sat alone in his little house, waiting for his housekeeper to return from the market with a few things that she would fix for an evening meal. He expected that she would be home any moment. She would bow low, and open her little basket and show how wisely she had spent their few coins. But when the the housekeeper did return, she lingered by the door, and the basket stayed shut. Master, she said, it occurs to me that we are lonely here. Lonely? Well, I should say so, said the artist. How can we have guests when we have nothing to offer them? Master, she continued, it seems to me I have often been kept awake by rats. 
Rats, laughed the artist. No rats come to a house in which not even the smallest morsel of food falls upon the mats. And then with a sense of dread, he realized what was in the basket. You have brought us home nothing to eat, he said. You have brought us home a cat. Oh, my master is so wise, he sees the unseen, replied the housekeeper. A cat, a cat, have you gone mad? Here we are, nearly starving, and you bring home a little goblin to eat what little left we have. Don't you know cats are evil? What? But no, no, maybe you're right. Perhaps it is right to be, perhaps it is best to be carried off at night in the jaws of a goblin. We can't be any worse off than we are. Well, the old woman began to cry. Tears fell from her dark eyes and ran down the wrinkles in her cheek. <sighs> Why was he so angry? He had been hungry before. Well, said the artist, who knows? Perhaps it is best, perhaps it is, perhaps it is good fortune to have a goblin in the household to keep the other goblins away. Come, let me see the creature, he said, not really caring if he saw it or not. The old woman set down the basket and opened the lid. Nothing happened at first, and then a pretty little white head peeped up over the rim, and two yellow eyes looked around the room. The cat jumped out of the basket and stood on the mat. The artist could see that her white sides were spotted with yellow and black dots, and she had a little round table, uh, tail like that of a rabbit. Oh! A three-color cat, he said. Well, why didn't you say so? They're very lucky, I understand. Upon hearing him speak so kindly, the little cat came over and bowed low before him. He had to admit he had seen nothing quite as lovely as their little cat in a long time. Yes, you are right. We were lonely. Well, she shall have to have a name. Let me see. She is like snow dotted with gold and black lacquer. She is like a white flower upon which yellow and black butterflies have landed. May I humbly suggest, said the housekeeper, that we call her good fortune? The artist thought for a moment and said, Yes, it is as good as any other name, but take her to the kitchen out of the way. No sooner had the words left his mouth than good fortune got up and went to the kitchen. The next day, after the housekeeper again returned from the market, this time with a few items for a small morning meal, good fortune did not go near the stove. Although she looked at it every now and then, and her thistle-down whiskers quivered slightly with hunger. When the food was brought before the artist, good fortune made a point of looking in the other direction. One could almost believe, he said, pleased by her behavior, that she realizes it is not polite to stare at others while they eat. Please, bring a bowl for good fortune. She must be very hungry. The bowl came, and good fortune sat next to her master. But she only ate half her rice. It was as if she desired to save the other half for another day, wanting to be no more of a burden than she could help. When he was done eating, the artist knelt on a mat 
and began painting beautiful little pictures of animals and warriors and cloud-covered mountains. Beautiful little pictures that hardly anyone ever bought. The housekeeper kept herself busy taking care of the house. Good fortune, realizing that he, she could help neither of them, spent her time sitting in the sun. She ate very little, and she often spent hours with her head lowered before the image of the Buddha on its, shel- on its shelf. She is praying to the enlightened one, said the housekeeper. She is catching flies, said the, ha- the, said the artist. You would think anything wonderful of your little spotted cat. And yet, the artist had to acknowledge that there was something different. Good fortune was different than the other cats. One day, he was sitting in his room watching sparrows fly in and out of the hydrangea bushes when all of a sudden, good fortune sprang out of the shadows and grabbed one of the birds. The artist would have clapped his hands to scare her away, but before he could do so, good fortune raised one paw and then another, allowing the startled bird to escape. What mercy, he said. He knew the little cat must be very hungry, and he knew well enough what hunger felt like. Why, I am ashamed to think that I called such a cat a goblin. She is more virtuous than a priest. Right at that very moment, the housekeeper came into the room, trying hard to hide her excitement. Master, master, she said, the head priest from the temple is here, and he wishes to speak with you. The head priest wishes to speak with me, repeated the artist, scarcely able to believe the words. As he rose quickly, he did not notice good fortune rubbing encouragingly at his ankles. He went into the next room, bowed low before the head priest, and the head priest got right to the point. We desire a painting of the death of our Lord Buddha to hang in the temple. There was some discussion as to who the artist should be, So we placed slips of paper, each with a name on it, before the image of the Buddha in the central hall. In the morning, all of the slips of paper had been blown away, except for yours. Therefore, we knew the Buddha's wishes in the matter. We have heard of your circumstances, so we have brought a first payment, so that your mind might be free from worry as you work. With that, he handed the artist a large bag of coins, and left. The artist couldn't even remember what happened next. It was as if it was all a dream. Why had the Buddha chosen him? He was frequently too sad to pray. The housekeeper was too busy. Could it be that the Buddha would hear the prayers of a little spotted cat? Well, the next morning he arose very early. He put on his best clothes. And he knelt before the image of the Buddha on its shelf. He would meditate that he might understand the Buddha in order to paint him. He sat in silence all day with good fortune next to him. He imagined himself to be the young Prince Siddhartha who would one day become the Buddha. On the second day, he again meditated all day long with good fortune beside him. This time he imagined himself as Siddhartha and recalled how the prince had turned his back 
on his rich and lavish lifestyle, even leaving his wife and child. The artist experienced the great sadness that Siddhartha must have felt. Evening came, but the artist remained sitting in silence. Good fortune meowed anxiously, but the artist did not hear her. On the third day, the artist was very tired, but once again, he woke early, dressed his best, and sat in meditation. This time, he imagined himself to be Prince Siddhartha, who had wandered for years, begging for food and seeking wisdom. He imagined himself sitting beneath a bow tree and finally realizing why it was that people suffered and realizing how they could overcome their suffering. With this knowledge, he became the Buddha, the awakened one. The artist felt a great sense of peace come over him and a love for all of the world that flowed out to even the smallest grains of sand on the furthest shore. He felt himself as the Buddha grow old and realized that the time of his passing was at hand. The sky opened up and all of the Hindu gods and his followers and the animals of the earth came to bid him farewell. But where was the cat? The artist wondered in all of the paintings he had ever seen representing the death of Buddha, there had never been a cat. And then he realized why, he remembered why. It was said that the cat had refused to honor the Buddha and therefore through her own independent act had had the doors of paradise shut in her face forevermore. The artist felt a sense of sadness as he thought of good fortune, but he realized he was done. Over the course of three days, he had lived the magnificent life in his mind, and he now understood how the Buddha must look. Oh, but he was tired, and so he slept. He slept for 24 hours, and when he awoke, he called for a great roll of silk and his brushes and his ink. On one end of the silken canvas, he painted an image of the Buddha, reclining on a couch, his arms folded across his chest, a look of peace over his face. It had taken him nearly three days to understand how the Buddha should look. And he worked as though he saw the reclining Buddha right before him. It took him less than three hours to paint him. In the following days, the artist painted the various gods and the people who had come to bid farewell to the Buddha. And he surely would have grown very thin had not the housekeeper continuously coaxed him to eat. Whenever the housekeeper wasn't looking, good fortune would sneak into the room and she would watch the artist paint. She would sit by his sleeve or sit behind him like a spot of light in his shadow. The artist, having finished the gods and the people who came to visit the Buddha, Buddha, contemplated the animals. Which one should he paint first? 
He sat for hours until he recalled a story of a time when the Buddha had been meditating under the fierce sun, it beating down upon his head. The snails saw, and they crawled from their protective shade and arranged themselves as a crown to cover his head and protect him until the sun went down. The artist took his brush, dipped it in spring water and ink, and painted a snail. When it was done, good fortune came to look at it, and she held a paw up as if to touch it. She turned to the artist and seemed to say, Master, that is a very snail-like snail. (laughs) The next day, the artist contemplated the elephant. He recalled a story of a time when the Buddha had been born as an elephant and had met a group of refugees who were escaping from a wicked king, but they were too weak to proceed without food. The Buddha, as an elephant, threw himself off a cliff that the travelers might have enough food to find safety. The artist took his brush, dipped it into spring water and ink, and painted an elephant. When it was done, good fortune came out of his shadow and looked at it wide-eyed. She turned to the artist and seemed to say, Master, I don't know what this being is, but I am filled with awe. On and on the days went The artist painted many animals, and each time good fortune would come out and look at them. And each time her eyes would shine with wonder and amazement. And yet the artist began to think that perhaps there was a bit of sadness in those eyes as well. The following day, the artist was compelled to paint the dog. He thought of them as puppies and he thought of them as adults, but he couldn't think of a story in which the spirit had been born as a dog. So he called in the housekeeper and asked if she knew any. She told a story of an old abandoned temple that was near a village. And it was said that the the villagers on a specific day every year had to sacrifice a young girl to the goblins. Otherwise, the goblins would overrun the town. Well, they would put the girl in a basket, take the basket to the temple, and the girl would never be seen again. Well, one day the lot fell to a young girl who had a dog. She and the dog traded places, and that night when the goblins opened the basket, the dog leapt out, grabbed the leader of the goblins by the throat, killing him. The other goblins ran away and were never heard from again. The artist thanked the housekeeper for her story, and then asked, by the way, what did the goblins look like? Cats, she whispered, hoping that good good fortune wouldn't hear, but good fortune did hear. With a sad look at the old woman, good fortune got up and walked out of the room. The artist, reflecting on the quality of faithfulness, touched his brush to spring water and ink, and painted a dog. When it was done, good fortune did not come back all day to look at it. The next day, as the artist once again prepared to paint, he noticed that good fortune was nowhere to be found. Well, he reflected on the deer. He recalled a story of a time when the Buddha had been born as a deer and had sacrificed his life to a great king in order to win the safety of the other animals of the forest. The artist was 
overcome with the experience of such timidity and yet great courage. He touched his brush to spring water and ink and painted a deer. And when he was done, unexpectedly, good fortune came out of his shadow and looked long at the painting. She let out a soft meow. She sadly turned toward the artist and seemed to ask, Master, is there no room for me among the other animals? On and on the days went, the master painting the other animals. Each time when they were done, good fortune would come out and look at them. But with each addition, she seemed to grow sadder and she would paw at the master's sleeve all the while looking up into his face. Then one day the artist faced his greatest challenge to date. All of the animals that he had painted so far were were gentle in nature. Even the lion who killed only to eat. But But the artist knew that the tiger was also among the animals who had come to bid the Buddha farewell. How could this be? What could there be to bless in such a cruel and fierce life? And yet the artist remembered a time when the Buddha had been born as a tiger to prove that even in such a savage life there is something of beauty and greatness. And so the artist painted a tiger. When he was done, good fortune again came to look at it, and this time her body trembled all over. If the tiger can come to bid the Buddha farewell, she seemed to say, then surely the cat, who is small and often quite gentle, may come. Surely, Master, surely next you will paint a cat among the animals who received the blessing of the Holy One as he died. The artist was distressed. Good fortune, he said, picking her up in his arms. I would gladly paint the cat if I could. But all people know that cats, while lovely, are proud and self-satisfied. The Buddha alone, the, the cat alone of all the animals refused the teachings of the Buddha and did not receive his blessing. And then good fortune laid her pretty white head against his chest and mewed and mewed like a small child. The artist tried to comfort her as best he could, but called for the housekeeper. Buy her a fine fish, all her own, and do not let her come back in here until the painting is gone. She will surely break both our hearts. The artist returned to his work. He was nearly done. He had imagined every life. There was the royal Buddha, the gods, the people, the animals. Why, the great roll of silk was scarcely big enough to contain all of the love and devotion. And yet, there was something missing. He heard, he heard the cries of good fortune softly coming from the kitchen. Tears came to his eyes and he said, I cannot be so hard-hearted. For three days he had sat in the love and devotion. He had sat in the example of sacrifice. He decided that he would paint a cat. He dipped his brush in spring water, touched it to ink, and last of all the animals, painted the cat. Knowing that if the priests wished to refuse the work inaccurate 
as inaccurate, so be it. He could starve. When he was done, he called to the housekeeper and said, let good fortune come in. Perhaps I have ruined us, but I can at least make her happy. The door slid open, good fortune raced in. She ran over to the painting and looked and looked as if she could never look enough. And then she looked into the eyes of the artist with all her love and gratitude. And then good fortune laid down and died. Too happy to live another moment. They buried her underneath a peach tree in which hung a little bell. And at the foot of her grave, they placed a white flower and a little shell. The next day, hearing that the painting was finished, the head priest arrived to look at it. How it shines, he said. Such detail, such beauty. And then his face hardened. What is, this, what is this creature you have painted at the end? It is a cat, replied the artist. Do you not know that the cat rebelled against our Lord Buddha, did not receive his blessing, and can now never enter paradise? Yes, I knew, said the artist. I see, replied the head priest. All beings must suffer the consequence of their actions. The cat must suffer from her obstinacy and now you from yours. As a work once done can never be erased, I will take the painting and tomorrow it will be officially burned in the temple. We will find another artist to complete the work. All day, the artist sat alone in his thoughts The painting was gone, and with it, that part of his life that he had put into it. Now, all of his hopes were ruined. Now, more than ever, no one would buy his art. But he did not regret what he had done. For so many days, he had sat in the thought of love and the example of sacrifice. And now his sacrifice did not seem too great a thing to bear for good fortune's one moment of happiness. All through the night, he sat in the darkness until the sun rose in the morning. An hour later, he heard people running towards his house. And suddenly he found himself surrounded by the monks from the temple with the head priest pulling at his arm. Come, sir, come, sir, you must see. Come, it is a miracle, come. Well, half awake and dazed, he felt himself pushed and pulled with a throng of people making their way to the temple. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw the housekeeper, and together they went into the temple, and there was his painting hanging in the great hall with candles and incense burning forward. But it was his painting. There was the gods and the people and the animals, and oh, oh, the compassionate one. At the very end, where he had painted the cat, now there was nothing. It was as if brush and ink had never touched the silken canvas. And the Buddha, the Buddha whom he had painted with arms folded across his chest, now had one arm extended in the sign of a blessing. And beneath the holy hand there knelt a figure of a little three-colored cat 
her pretty white head bowed in joyful devotion and gratitude. And that is the tale of the artist and his good fortune. So why tell a story like that? If it were simply a story of a little cat being blessed by the Buddha, maybe not. And if we had more time, we could talk about how the various characters represent uh, aspects of us, how the artist is transformed throughout the story. But there's one thing I want to focus on that, that speaks to this idea of our relationship to God, our relationship to the beloved. It wasn't the Buddha who blessed good fortune. It was the artist. Buddha represents the blessing. Buddha is the source of the blessing. But it was the artist. It was the artist who was transformed from being poor and sad and lonely. Who spent so many days in the thought of love and the example of sacrifice. By the way, around here we call that creating a mental equivalent. He was transformed. And it was his choice to risk ruin, to risk everything for good fortunes, one great moment of happiness. And that, more than anything, to me, is our relationship with the divine. We will never know God through the intellect. God is revealed and discovered and experienced through that intimate, close feeling that we have. We are the realization of the divine. We are God realizing God self. Without the artist, there was no blessing There was no miracle. And without you and I, God is love. But that love is realized through you and I, through all of creation. All of the, God is truth, God is beauty, God is harmony, God is compassion. None of that is realized without you and I. Ernest Holmes says, Spirit without manifestation would only be a dream world, never coming to self-realization. We experience God through that heart-centered feeling, through love flowing out of us. Dr. Holmes writes, the person who goes deeply into his or her own nature will find that God speaks in the universal language of emotion, sense, feeling, intuition, instinct. It makes no difference what we call it. It is the direct revelation of omniscience through us. So my question to you is, how will you reveal God today? How will you be the vehicle today through which compassion is realized? Who in your life today is calling 
for blessing, recognition, acknowledgement, to be lifted up and praised. And who today will you love? If we want a bigger, better God, it will only be realized through a bigger, better us. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, visit us at milehighchurch.org.